Amen. Thank you all for leading us in a sweet, sweet time of worship. I greatly appreciate it. We'll be in Galatians 6 today, continuing where we left off with the fruit of the Spirit. It is a different chapter, but it's still the same thought. If you are a note taker, fbcdan.com slash notes, or take a picture of that QR code, and you can get there either way. You can follow along with what I have. You can email that to yourself. You can take notes on what I have, and you can email that to yourself. Some of you like to take it with pen and paper. I understand that. Some of you just like to listen. I understand that as well. But for those that do that, we try to provide this resource for you to help you as you study it out, the Word, and try to apply it to your lives. So if you haven't been here or if you have slept since then, we've been in this area for a few weeks. The fruit of the Spirit uh, Three weeks ago, we looked at the things leading up to what Paul was talking about when it came to the fruit of the Spirit, why he was talking about that. Um, basically, the entire section is, is legalism versus grace through faith in Christ alone. That's the entire premise of it. There's legalists that are trying to add to what it takes to be saved. They're trying to say that it's faith in Jesus and be circumcised, which was a big deal in the Jewish culture. You could put anything in that blank, faith in Jesus and whatever, anything that goes in that blank is wrong. That blank doesn't exist. Salvation comes through faith in Christ and faith in Christ alone. That is a gift from the Father so that no one can boast, is what the Word tells us and teaches us very clearly. But it was a problem then and it's a problem now because we revert to legalism. That is our natural state. We want to justify ourselves. And we are good at doing that at others' expense. And so that's what we looked at then. Then we looked, dug into the actual fruit of the Spirit, what it meant, and all that. And then last week, we really looked at the how of the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, and, and, and so just recapping as we, as we get into this week, just want to read these verses to us again so we keep that fresh in our mind as we get into this section. So we looked at, and this is the Passion Translation, so it kind of fleshes it out a little bit. It says, but the fruit produced by the Holy Spirit within you is divine love in all its varied expressions, joy that overflows, peace that subdues, patience that endures, kindness in action, a life full of virtue, faith that prevails, gentleness of heart, and strength of spirit. Never set the law above these qualities, for they are meant to be limitless. That is the fruit of the Spirit. And then we looked at last week, keep in mind that we who belong to Jesus, the anointed one, have already experienced crucifixion for everything connected with our self-life was put to death on the cross and crucified with the Messiah. We must live in the Holy Spirit and follow after him. So, so may we never be arrogant or look down on one another. For each of us is an original. We must forsake all jealousy that diminishes the value of others. We keep that same thought as we go into chapter 6 because it is the same thought. So we've looked at what and we've looked at how. And this week it's more practical. It's the, more the when and the who. When and who does this? Who lives out this face? What, what does that look like to live out the fruit of the Spirit in your life? And I think it will have a tremendous, a tremendous impact on your life should you do this, should you live this out. And, and at the end today, I really want to speak specifically just for a minute to the men uh, that are here today and that are listening and that will listen later on. So at the end, we'll talk a little bit specifically to, to the men of the church as seen it is Father's Day today. So that's where, that's where we're at. Galatians chapter 6, let's pick it up in verse 1. Paul says, Brothers, if someone is caught in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual should restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourself so you also won't be tempted. Carry one another's burdens. In this way, 
you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone considers himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each person should examine his own work, and then he will have a reason for boasting in himself alone, and not in respect to someone else. For each person will have to carry his own load. God, I come to you today, and I ask God that, that, that you are, are blessed through, through our worship this morning, God. That, that we have worshipped you well, and that we continue to worship you well as we dig into your word, God. I pray that you would speak to me, Lord, to my heart first and foremost. God, may I not preach to, but be preached, but be preached to today. And as, as you use me as a vessel, God, may, may, may your word speak to the hearts of those that are here and those that are listening. And that it would do a work that only your word can do, God, as we dig into what it means to live out your word in our lives. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's dig in to these five verses and uh, see, what, see what the Lord has for us today. So we've got the first verse there. Brothers, if someone is caught in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual should restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourself so you also won't be tempted. I just said it a second ago, but remember that the whole theme that Paul is dealing with in this section, especially of the letter, but really the whole letter as a whole, but especially this section, is legalism versus grace through faith alone. So Paul uses an interesting illustration here. As Wiersbe says, Warren Wiersbe says, nothing reveals the wickedness of legalism better than how a legalist treats those who have sinned. Nothing reveals the wickedness of legalism, trying to justify ourselves before God, better than how a legalist treats those who have been sinned. That's kind of the juxtaposition here that Paul is placing this illustration in. A legalist, see, is always harder on others than they are themselves. But, but a spirit-led Christian demands more of himself than he does of others. That way he is in a position or she is in a position to help others. Okay, so it's, in this, it's, it's, as we dig into this, it's not, that, it's not that we don't do the same thing for deliberate sin, but Paul's making a specific example here of, of what we would consider undeliberate sin. Sin that's surprising. But if someone deliberate, deliberately sins, we should do the same thing. But that's a little easier to disregard. But Paul here is making a specific case for brothers that are caught in any wrongdoing. Okay? That are caught in any wrongdoing. And so it's, it's, a, it's a sin that's not done really on purpose. For you to be legalistic towards that person, that really shows your wickedness, is what Paul is trying to say here. So we want to catch that. So caught here, this word caught is... Prolombano, prolombano in the Greek. Okay, this is the thought of someone who is running from sin, but sin being faster than them overtakes them. Okay, it's like, it's like a military force that's suddenly and surprisingly overrun by the enemy. That's what this word means here. It literally means to eat ahead of others. I won't go, I won't go there. <laughs> It literally means to eat ahead of others or to take, take something before someone else. But figuratively, used, like it's used here, it's to be surprisingly overrun by something. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have dis distracted us with that. I love you, Forrest. You know I love you. <laughs> uh, so that's, what he, that's, what he's, that's the picture he's given here. Okay? This, is, this is someone that just, they sin because we sin. They're not sinning because they're, they're just disregarding they're not 
or they're, they're not trying to live a righteous life. They just, they just sin because you sin and I sin and we all still sin. We're all still in this wretched, sinful state. And that's the, the, the picture that Paul is trying to paint here, that someone is caught in any wrongdoing, caught in any wrongdoing, a trespass, a sin, a wrongdoing. This is the same word used in 2 Corinthians 5.19. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses, there's the word, against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. God doesn't count our trespasses, same Greek word used there that is used where we're looking here in Galatians. He doesn't count them against us when we place our faith in him. So how could we ever possibly have the right to try to do that to others? Of course, we couldn't and shouldn't and wouldn't do that. So that's the picture he's painting here. Someone who's caught in wrongdoing. They are surprisingly overrun by sin. They have messed up. They have made a, a way we say it nowadays, they've made a mistake, right? Sometimes it's not a mistake. Sometimes it's, it's deliberate evil. But sometimes it's just a mistake. And so Paul's saying, the ones who have made a mistake, you who are spiritual should. I love the way Paul says this. You who are spiritual should. Right? This is how we know he's putting this against the legalist. We've just been talking about for an entire chapter, Paul's saying in, in this letter. I've just gone through great lengths to describe what it's like to be a spirit revived, spirit resurrected, spirit filled, spirit following person. And what that looks like. So you who are like that, you, you know, the spiritual ones, the ones made alive by and walking with, marching in step with the Spirit, led by the Spirit. You guys that talk about Jesus, here's your chance to walk the walk. Here's where the rubber meets the road. Here's how God actually works that out in your life, that spiritual fruit. Here's an, here's an example of when that comes into play and how how important and powerful it is. This, is. this is where the Holy Spirit becomes real and becomes powerful in your life. Not in the emotional highs that we attribute the Spirit to a lot of the times. It's easy to, to attribute, man, the Spirit was moving and all we really meant was our emotions were worked up. And we had, we had good energy that day, right? So it's, he's saying it's not, not in the hooping and the hollering. That's not what we're talking about, the spirit moving. We're talking about in the obedience to the spirit. That's the real power of the Holy Spirit. Not the goofing around and the things that sometimes get attributed to that. Anybody can get emotional. Only those walking by and walking with the spirit can do spirit-led, spirit-produced, God-honoring acts. Like forgiveness and restoration. The stuff that really makes a difference in our lives. So he says, hey, you that we've been talking about, you you got something to do. You should restore such a person with a gentle spirit. See, the, see, the spiritual man seeks to restore the brother in love. The legalist would like to exploit the brother for their own gain, for their own self-importance, for their own ego. A legalist points out the sin, makes an example of the sin. But someone who is spiritual desires to restore the brother in love. Restore here. Restore. Mend. Put back together. This word here that, that we say restore in English. The word is here is literally used to reset a broken bone. In the Greek, that's the word you would use if someone broke a bone. You had to put it back into place so it could heal. Same word. Really cool word. Right? When sin takes place, there is a bone that is broken in the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. His church. 
And, and Paul's saying, you who claim to be followers are to reset that broken one gently. I don't know about you, but I, I don't want a broken bone of mine reset harshly, right? We looked at several weeks back when, when Jesus was giving a, a similar example. He talked about doing it like it was eye surgery, remember? The, pl- the, the, the speck in someone's eye, don't you want eye surgery to be performed gently and carefully? Same illustration here, same truth, same principle, right? It's a broken bone in the body of Christ, and we are to restore that person, to reset it. To, to, to put them back right so that the body continues in the way that it is. And the word here, with a gentle spirit, that's the exact, exact same word, exact same conjugation, exact same usage when he uses that word in the list of the fruit of the spirit, which is no surprise. Paul's just said that we should exhibit gentleness as a fruit of the spirit and then uses the exact same word in the way that we are to be gentle in restoring and forgiving one another when it comes to the church, right? And hey, the end of that verse, and do it with a little humility. Do do it in the spirit of humility because at the end there, because you might be the next one who needs restoring, lest we get on our our high horse, right? Don't get it twisted. Don't don't sit up and look down because you may be the one down real soon, and and, and you're not going to want to be looking it up at someone condescending to you. So he, he he warns us there, be careful, you might be the next one. So you see, Jesus says the same thing in the, in the uh, Sermon on the Mount. He says the same thing in the Sermon on the Mount right after he's finished the example prayer, the model prayer. Matthew 6, 14. For if you forgive people their wrongdoing, same wrongdoing, same word, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive people, your Father will not forgive your wrongdoing. This has always been since the beginning of this thing called following Jesus. The beginning of this, it's always been the expectation for us to be a forgiver and restorer of fellow believers, not those that point out and condemn and exploit those who make a mistake. The cross and the empty tomb prove the length to which we are to go and the power in which we are operating to perform such miraculous acts as forgiveness and restoration. How far should we go? Well, Jesus went to the cross. How much power do we have to actually do this? Well, Jesus proved his power over sin and death by coming back to life in his resurrection. There's a cross and an empty tomb that prove the lengths to which and the power in which we are operating to perform such miraculous acts. Much more miraculous to me than a lot of the things that we point to as miracles. It's much harder, I think, to lovingly and gently restore someone who has wronged you individually, personally. That takes miraculous, God-led, spirit-led power. Well, how do you restore a brother or a sister in sin? Matthew gives us, Jesus, his own words, Matthew gives us those words in Matthew 18. If you've never read those words, you should go read them. Matthew 18, 15 through 35. Jesus tells us specifically how to go to someone who has messed up, who has made a mistake, who has done something wrong. I'll give you the synopsis. First, you go to them in private. Go try to win your brother back in private. He, he's using a, a, a play on words here. Uh, that we, when he, Earlier he says we shouldn't compete against each other. The verses we read in the end of chapter 5. Now he's saying where we should compete. We should compete in winning our brother back. 
That's the way we should compete, not against each other, but in winning each other back. So you start in private, and then if that doesn't work, then you go to a small group, right? Two to three more come with you. And then it's to the whole church, right? And then through prayer and the heart of forgiveness, if that doesn't work, then you take steps towards discipline if none of this works. There's, there's actually a process to how this happens in the church. We forsake this duty often because it's, it takes a tremendous amount of courage to do this and to do it this way. It's not easy because we may get it turned right back around on us. The hope is the person repents and is restored gently into fellowship. But see, when, when a legalist hears that a brother has sinned, instead of going to the brother, which is what the Bible says to do, Jesus literally is quoted in Matthew 18 as saying, if you have been wronged, go to the person that wronged you. Now, this ain't the message for today, but it's a good message. It's one we ought to be living out. There we go. When the legalist hears that someone has sinned, or especially if they've sinned against them, right, instead of going to the brother, he shares the sad news with others, you know, so you can pray about it. Mm-hmm. That way you can intelligently pray about it. Really what it's called is slandering and gossiping is what it's really called. That's what it's better known as, slandering and gossiping. Warren Wiersbe says it this way about legalists. I, he's better than I am, so I'll just quote him. Legalists do not need facts and proof. They need only suspicions and rumors. Their self-righteous imaginations will do the rest. Fill in the rest of the blanks. If there is something that has taken place that needs to be restored in this body, especially, but really in any setting, but especially in this body, you don't go talking to others about it. You go to the brother or sister, because nine times out of ten, it's just miscommunication. And it can be fixed right there on the spot. I ask that you do that with me. I've said that before. Some of you actually do it. You believe it. Raymond and I, we had a little, we had a little going at it the other day. He said, I'm fixing to say something that may hurt your feelings. I said, probably not. It was just miscommunication is all it was. It was no big deal. But because he came to me and said something about it, it was fixed. It was over. It was nothing. It was done. Now, if it would have been something wrong, then hopefully I would have said, I'm sorry. But he was wrong in this situation. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> that wasn't the case. Right? So when we do this, continuing with the verses we're in, in this way, we carry one another's burdens. In this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. Here's a news flash. This life will have burdens. It will have burdens, some heavier than others. Some will be self-produced. Some will be others-produced. Some will be just because we live in a sin-filled world. But all of these will give opportunities to show Christ's love to each other and to manifest a work of the Spirit, a fruit of the Spirit. The context here that this is saying this heavy burden, it's a heavy spiritual burden of sin and temptation. Now, thankfully, those who have placed their faith in Christ, as our song just said, that burden is gone in actuality. But sometimes we still feel that burden when we're in our sin. Thankfully, it's actually been completely and totally removed as far as the East is from the West, from those who have repented of their sin and placed their faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and received the power of the Holy Spirit, which is the same power that raised him from the dead three days later. 
But the context here is someone that's got a heavy burden. The word there is, is baros, heaviness, weight, burden, trouble, heavy, crushing loads, more than someone could carry without help. That's what this word is. It's a load that you need help to carry. And sometimes life gives us those loads. And thankfully, I don't know about you, but I've had some brothers and sisters come alongside me throughout my life that have helped me carry burdens. But I don't know that I could have stood the weight without them. I, I truly believe some of the burdens I have gone through in my life, they would have crushed me had it not been for a brother or sister coming alongside me and helping me carry those burdens. So by helping someone pick up and carry this load, this load that's too heavy for them to bear, we are identifying and demonstrating the love of Christ. And by such, this verse says, we are fulfilling the law of Christ. Catch that. That's really cool what Paul's doing right there. He's contrasting here again against the legalist. See, the legalist wants to fulfill the law by doing it their way so they look good, so they are justified. But when you do it God's way, you actually fulfill the real law, the one that really matters. Man, Paul, was, he was good. He was good at this, giving us the word of God stuff. I sure appreciate him. For if anyone considers himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself, Paul says. Say, hey, restore him gently, you spiritual people. You people that say you're Jesus followers, restore someone who's been hurt. Help carry their burdens. And don't think for a second you're too good to help carry someone's burden. That's my translation of verse 3. If, if, if you're too good to be a, a fellow burden bearer, you're fooling yourself, Paul says. You're absolutely deceiving yourself. If you think you're too good to be a burden bearer, then please go find some self-righteous church somewhere else that likes that kind of stuff. Because this pastor and this church don't like that. I don't like anybody that looks down their nose at someone else. None of, none of us have that right. It's easy to get there. I'm not saying I've never done it. I'm not saying I won't do it again. But hopefully you'll call me on it if I do. We can't be those people. We can't be that type of Jesus follower. I'm not even sure that if you're unrepentant in that way that you are a Jesus follower. To be perfectly honest. Ooh, didn't plan on saying that. Kind of slipped out. Paul says, hey, it ain't going to be long before you need somebody to help you carry a burden. So pick somebody else's burden up today while you don't need help. Help them carry, because maybe the next day they're the ones helping you carry that burden, carry your burden. The, the attitude that does not tolerate mistakes in others is the same attitude that thinks you don't make mistakes. And that's why we can't tolerate that. The same attitude that doesn't tolerate mistakes in others is the same attitude that convinces you that you don't make mistakes, that you don't sin, that, you, that you're somehow righteous in your own way. And you know and I know that I'm not and you are not. It's not the case. Newsflash for anyone that thought that was the case. Verse 4, but each person should examine his own work and then he will have a reason for boasting in himself alone and not in respect to someone else. See, a man, a man should prove his own work in the light of God's will and not in the shadows of someone else's achievements or mistakes. We don't gain satisfaction by going, ha ha, you messed up. Or by someone else doing something right and us attaching ourselves to that when we really had nothing about it. We should examine ourself. 
Don't, don't look to others' failures for a false sense of achievement. Examine the lot God has given you and find real satisfaction in a job well done. When we find God's will and we live out God's will and we do that, there's a true satisfaction from that. A, a pride, a good pride, a non-sinful pride. When we, like, like, when we, like when we tell our kids, hey, have some pride in your work. Right? Have some pride in your work. Same thing. Good pride. Not all pride is bad. Most of the time that word when used in the English is a bad thing. But right here, some of your English translations use the word pride. It's a good thing. It's a job in, in, in doing what God has done, given you to do, and you've done it well. Paul, Paul is no doubt stating his satisfaction and confidence in his own work in Galatia as opposed to those who are adding to Jesus' work. He, he's saying that, hey, I'm confident. I'm satisfied in what I did for you and telling you that it's faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. And, and in a few verses, he says this. That's how we know this because he says it later in the, verse, in the chapter. Verse 14, but as for me, I will never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The world has been crucified to me through the cross and I to the world. Paul knows his work in Galatia had been an eternal work for Jesus. And it will stand the test of time because here we are 2,000 years later still talking about it. Almost 2,000 years later, still talking about it, still God using it, still being used to reach us and teach us and mold us and shape us. Paul said, hey, you'll be satisfied in a job well done. But the Judaizers that are trying to add to Jesus for salvation, theirs won't stand the test of time. Tell me any of their names. Tell me any of their names. I can't. Even if I could, I wouldn't want to. But I like old Paul. He's pretty cool. Verse 5, and we're almost done. Let me go eat. Yummy. For each person will have to carry his own load. Think about this. The person that has sinned had a burden to carry, but now he's saying that those who follow Jesus have a burden to carry. In the English, easy to miss the mistake he's made making here because we use very similar words and we don't catch the nuance of what's being said. This word here for this load is different than the word that we looked at earlier. The word earlier was baros. This, excuse me, this word is for teon. For teon. This is a work we've been given by the Lord. This is a burden we've been given by the Lord. And the word here is literally like the, the pack of a soldier, a soldier's pack, right? The backpack you carry your stuff, your supplies in, the stuff you need. It's also used to describe cargo that is on a ship, right? In other words, <laughs> catch it. This is a load that has a purpose, and it's carried by something designed to carry the load. Much different load than the load caused by sin. The, sh the ship is made to carry the cargo. The, the soldier is able to carry his pack and needs the things in his pack to survive. Much different load. And by, and by getting this load from where it is to where it's going, there's great satisfaction in the completion of this work. It's a good burden. Jesus says it this way in Matthew. Matthew 11.30. For my yoke is easy and my burden is is light. That burden, same exact word for Tion that's used here in Galatians. What are we saying? In other words, we're talking about this. We're talking about responsibility. Responsibility. Responsibility is where meaning and purpose is found. But it's a load to carry. It's a burden. It's a pack to put on your back and walk with. 
responsibility. We as followers of Jesus, those that are resurrected to new life, as we say when someone is baptized, resurrected by the Spirit and marching in step with the Spirit as a rank of soldiers, we have a duty. We have a responsibility. When we, when we live by the Spirit, the Spirit will produce the necessary fruit in our lives to complete this work well, this responsibility well. And part of that work, Paul says here, part of that work in a way that you can manifest it gloriously in the life of the church is to gently restore each other when we mess up. Part of that responsibility is to do that. We should never celebrate, never revel when others make mistakes. We should never allow it to make us feel better about ourselves. It's not the way. And the other work, besides that work, carrying burdens together, that other work, we're made to carry that alone. It's, it's a work that we are created to do and no one else is created to do it. So carry your pack, soldier. Do your work for the Lord. Joy and satisfaction comes from bearing responsibility well. That's one of the major problems we have in our society. We have a large group of people that have no responsibility to bear. And they're floundering because of it. We want a message that we can preach that will help society, help the nation. Pick up your pack and do your work. Do what you've been called to do. And men specifically this morning, you have a job to do. On Father's Day, let me encourage you. We, we know the, the main roles. We talk about it often. You're to provide. You're to protect, lead, and defend those you've been given. Your wife, if you have one. Your kids, if you have them. And also, this church. Whether you have those other things or not. Whether you're married or, or have kids in the house or what. Whether you have those or not, this church you've been called to do the exact same thing for. You've been called to do these things for this church. To protect it. To lead it. To defend it. To provide. What do I mean by provide? Provide leadership. Provide initiative. That's what we've been called to do. So let me encourage you a little today. And I'll use Paul's verses just a few verses later to do that. So we must not get tired of doing good. For we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, we must work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. Men, you have an important role and an important job to do. Let me give you a few statistics. One in four kids, one in four, 25% of kids in the United States right now are without active fathers. There's a direct correlation. It's one of, the, one of the most specific and accurate things social scientists have studied and come to find statistics in. There's a direct correlation in, in the amount of addiction and depression and imprisonment and lack of education for those who do not have an active father figure in their life. 70% of high school dropouts do not have active fathers. 60% of youth suicides do not have an active father in their life. You're 80% less likely to ever spend time in jail if you have an active father in your life. What am I saying? We've got a pack to pick up and carry as men in this world. You, your kids are grown. 
and gone and living on their own? Well, 25% of the kids in America don't have a dad in their life. So pick one of them. Pay attention and pick one of them and start spending time with them. Well, say, how do I do that? Well, it ain't rocket science. Just spend time with them. You don't have to have a church program for that. We don't have to have an officially sanctioned church program for that to take place. Just start doing it. Just do something. Just find a kid and change their life. You never know what could happen. You never know what could happen. And those that, men that, that do have children in your lives and you do have a family, do your job well. Don't grow weary in doing well and doing good works. We will reap at the proper time if we, like the way the King James says it, if we faint not or if we don't give up. We have a very important role to do and many of you are doing it well. But we have to come alongside each other, especially as men, and help each other carry these burdens as we move forward to do what's best for our church, our community, our state, our nation. Let's stop talking about what needs to change and start being the change that needs to take place. And you can make a humongous difference by being a father figure in a kid's life, even if you're not actually their biological father. Don't use that as an excuse. Pick up your pack and find great, real joy and satisfaction in doing a job well done for what God has put in front of you. I pray that we, that many of us will be sparked by the Holy Spirit in something that we should be doing this morning and that we start doing it. I'll pray for us and we'll finish in song. God, thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. Thank you for Jesus and the price that was paid for us on the cross. Thank you for the finished work of the cross and the hope and joy of the empty tomb and the resurrection, God. If there's someone here this morning that has never received what it feels like to have that burden removed, God, to have the joy of salvation, to be saved from our sins and saved to, to eternity and to a work and to a joy-filled life from a work, from a from a responsibility that you give us from then on until you call us home, God, I pray that today would be the day that that person comes to faith in you. God, now for, the, for those that have placed faith, those that are in this church or listening or, or participating in our church somehow, some way, God, may we find our work, may we pick up our pack and carry it well, examine what you've put in our lives, carry that pack well. You made us to carry it and you've given what, us what we need in that pack to do it, God. May we be found faithful until you call us home or come back. Either way, Lord, we pray these things this morning in Jesus' matchless and holy name. Amen.